countdown has begun. It's Erev Shabbos and it's Erev Pesach. We're going to be celebrating Pesach in four days. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday night is Pesach. So I guess everyone's running around besides doing their Shabbos shopping. They're doing their last minute Pesach shopping. So we are totally ready, excited to cook, shop and celebrate with family, buying new food items, cooking up new recipes buying some new clothes, maybe a little bit of jewellery for the wife. I think there's some sort of Gemara somewhere. You should buy your wife some jewellery. Did you hear that, Sveen Achman? Okay, good. I'm glad you're listening. So we have a very exciting guest today. This show is going to be dedicated to wine because Pesach is, besides being a lot about food, it's a lot about drinking. So I have with me Jay Booksbaum. Hi, Jay. How are you, Naomi? How are you? I'm great. It's been a busy month. (laughs) To say the least. <laughs> Absolutely. So t- tell us your title at the uh, Royal Wine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, sommelier. I got I got five titles. Five titles. Oh, yeah. wow. Um, no, but I, I think I think the the thing that I'm most endeared to is uh, director of wine education. Oh, I like that one. I mean, Educator. I'm vice president of marketing, and I'm do all kinds of other things. But the wine education part really is is probably the most satisfying. Okay, I, I would say, you know, I have a lot to learn, <laughs> and I'm sure everybody else does as well. So, so do I. Yeah. You know, I'm, as, as much as I, know, as I know about wine, boy, do I have a lot to learn. How, how involved are you in the process of winemaking for Kedem? What's the difference between Kedem and Royal Wine? Okay, so, so I've Royal, always wanted to know that. So Royal Wine is the umbrella owner, operator, uh, you know, of the company. Kedem is actually a brand. Kedem is, is our Kedem brand grape juice, our Kedem brand wines. Prima Lager. Prima Lager, um, Concord Cal. For those people who are going to get involved in, you know, in their four coasts and don't want to have too heavy a wine. Right, we'll talk about um, that. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, so that's what, uh, that's what Royal is the, uh, is the umbrella. Okay. So, Kedem so you is know, people think that Baron Herzog is a company. Well, it is in a manner of speaking, but it's really more of a brand. A brand. Like a branch under the umbrella exactly. of, of uh, Royal Wine. Right. Okay, great. How involved are you in the process of this whole winemaking industry? I will tell you that, that the people ask me that all the time. And okay. what's in, most interesting about that is is that the, I leave. I leave. I mean, the winemakers are the ones that make the wines. Okay. And they're the ones that decide, hopefully, on the right grapes to choose, which is the most important thing, the raw materials, raw materials, raw materials as a as a you know, a chef, as a baker, as a cooker, yep. you know that, that, you know, what you start with is probably the most important thing. Absolutely. You can take you can take really good raw materials and, and mess it up, but it's very hard to take really bad raw materials and make something good out of it. Right. It's hard. Right. It's possible, but it's hard. <laughs> At least tasty, maybe, but right. not great. So the, the, <clears throat> the winemaking process, and this is a good lesson for everybody to hear, the winemaking process really starts in the vineyard. Okay. You know, it's it's where the winemakers at both Baron Herzog and uh, all the Israeli wineries at Kedem, even when they make the grape juice, it's where they look to see to get the best grapes possible, the best raw materials for their recipe, if you will. Do they own their own vineyards or they go to, say, farmers that, you know, I don't know if that's the right word, who have their own vineyards? Yeah, they, they in almost 95% or more of the situations, they do not own their own vineyards. And that's in some in some ways intentional because – and they do go to farmers. They are called farmers. And um, 
the reason why they do that is because if you have a bad vintage in any given area in the world you ha- and you own your own land, you own your own vineyards, you have to use those grapes. Right. So this way, there's more, a little bit more flexibility. Having said that, however, each farmer, especially for the better wines, um, each farmer is told exactly how to grow those grapes, at what, at what um, sugar level to harvest those grapes, what acidity level to harvest those grapes. So there's a lot of control, even at the vineyard level, even though they don't own them. Okay, very interesting. So let's just go to a quick station break because we have not announced the name of the show, I just realized. This is Table for Two with Naomi Nachman. It's on the Nachum Siegel Network, and the show this month is going to be sponsored by AHC Appliances. So thank you very much to Sandy and Jay Taub from AHC Appliances out in Cedarhurst. We have a very special guest with us today. We are specifically doing a wine show right before... Uh, the Chag, which is just four days away, so it's very exciting. I'm actually going to be off to Israel myself. Um, I'm jealous. I know. I'm so excited. Boy. My daughter's there. Is your daughter in Israel? You no, daughter? she just came back. She just, she's back already? Yeah, she's back. Oh, very nice. So, um, Well, this was – she did a year and a half. So she ended oh, she up did a year and a half. The last, she's the last half year is Michlala, and she's back now at Stern, and she's doing great. Oh, very nice. So I'm going to see my yeah, daughter. You know. I, I think I'm going to be giving her my shopping list. And she's, I'm going to give her the wine list also to do because I hear the shops really um, – the shelves clear out really early in the supermarkets <laughs> there in Israel. You know, it's a Jewish country. We just have a Jewish suburb in the five towns or, or uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth or or Brooklyn, Monsey, but they have a whole country. So uh, I'm going to send her to buy, and because she's 18 in Israel, I think she's allowed to buy the wine. Actually, you know, it's interesting. The law is 18, but I think they allow children as low as 16 or even younger – to buy Kiddish wine? To buy, yeah, to buy wine. Because, you know, the Chassidim <laughs> and everybody sends their little kids out to go shopping. It's like no big deal. And right. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to tell you're gonna tell the mother, I couldn't give your daughter, you a, know. A bottle of wine, and they all know each other there. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure it's legal, but I, I yeah, think that's yeah. what happens. Yeah. You know? Okay, very nice. So let's talk now about Seder wines because there's so much involved with this. You know, you've got the light wines, you've got the heavy wines, and, and the... I remember in the 1980s in Australia, my father used to run a Pesach hotel in Sydney, Australia for 28 years. Oh, my goodness. And the only wine that we would be able to get, like the, the red wines that weren't dry wines, was the heavy cream of lagers. Remember those from the – I sure I do. I don't, I don't remember when they were – I don't know the year. Maybe you'll be able to tell us that. When they switched or they introduced really cream of lager into the market or a light wine, light alcohol wine. Um, it was about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit longer. The first really, the first really lighter wine was uh, Cream Red Concord. Okay. And that went from about 12.5% to 9%. Okay. Uh, since then, we've introduced Cream Malaga, which is lower than that. And even, which is like 3 or 4%. And even Concord Cal, which is lower than that. So, you know, it goes to about 3.5%. And those are the wines that a lot of people tend to gravitate to for the uh, Yontayvim, especially those people that are not regular and usual wine drinkers during the rest of the year because they're not used to the alcohol intake. Right. Do people use grape juice as a... Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's important to note that the grape juice that comes in the 1.5 liter bottle is not Mavushal according to everyone. According to everyone, it is not Mavushal. Okay, let's explain what Mavushal is. Okay, so Mavushal is... <clears throat> Excuse me. Mavushal, yeah. Mavushal is um, is when the wine is 
at bottling, in the case of the Concord, uh, the wine is goes through a heat exchange, okay. and it, it heats the wine to a, a temperature somewhere around close to the around 200 degree level. So it's almost boiling point. It's almost to the boiling, boiling point. Boiling point is 212. Right, right. And I'm not sure if it is 212. You have to, we'll, we'll, you know, anybody who wants to get the specific details of that, you can ask your local rabbi or the right. OU to exactly what temperature they require. And um, it's it's considered a temperature that halachically is considered boiling. And so, therefore, anybody can handle it, meaning Jews and non-Jews alike. And those wines are used, are done because if you go to a Kiddush okay. on Shabbos, yeah. and if you go to a bar mitzvah, or if you go to a bris or a bat mitzvah or whatever, and they're serving wine, not always is the are the people that's serving it Shomer Shabbos or even Jewish. Right. So you need to have a wine that is mavushal. So that's why it's mavushal. There's a whole lot of halachot involved, laws involved on on uh, on on non-Jewish people serving wine. That's it's correct. It's not so simple. <clears throat> they can pour soda, but they can't pour wine. That's right. And and the reason for that is, is that during the time of the Beis HaMikdash, uh, and before actually, during pagan times, the Goyim, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, the pagans, would dedicate their wines to their pagan ritual rites. And so the rabbis wanted to make sure that nobody would use that wine. And they knew that the pagans, if their wine was boiled, wouldn't use it for that. So they said, huh, we got a great idea. Let's boil the wine. And we know... It couldn't have been used for a pagan rite or for a non-Jewish purpose, and so therefore anybody can handle it. Okay, very interesting. You know, you see a lot of times, I don't know if people, you know, when they pick up a bottle of wine and they'll see mavushal or not mavushal, if they really understood what that means. So I kind of <clears> felt like I needed to ask you so we can, you know, because you're an educator, we can now educate some of the listeners in in uh, what Mavushal means. One of the one of the things I think that's important to say, one of the things that people are concerned about, there's there's two ends to that coin. On Pesach, especially if Pesach comes out on a Friday night, as I understand it, ask your local rabbi, it doesn't come out this not, year. Not this year, it's Friday night. Year. I mean, it's Monday night, right. Tuesday night. But unless you're in some Israel. people insist that the wine not be Mavushal for the Sadarim, especially the first coast. And the reason for it is, and again, I, I do the disclaimer, I ask the local rabbi I never heard about of this. Okay. And the reason for that is, is that that's the wine that they used in the base of Migdash. The wine that they used in the base of Migdash was not Mavushal. And so, therefore, that should be, according to many, the only wine that you should use for the Sadarm. Again, you got to ask your local rabbi. I'm not making a psak here. <laughs> Absolutely. But, so, so that's why I mentioned specifically that the grape juice, which is considered wine once it's crushed out of the grape right. juice, juice. Once crushed as, is not mavushal in the 1.5 liter according to everybody. Okay, the 1.5 liter is the ones that you buy in Costco. No, so you can see. No, it. Oh, one, I'm a consumer. <laughs> no, the 1.5 liter is is a long neck bottle. Okay, okay, the long skinny glass bottle. Right, the long okay. and it's in glass. The we ones you buy in Costco are 64 ounce. We now can visualize. 96 okay. ounce. Or 96, probably 400 ounce. It's Costco. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. So I, I, they've had their grape juice out for sale for Pesach, like in the main aisles for about two months already with their matzahs. It was freaking everyone out. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, right? It's unbelievable that uh, they're so uh, supportive of giving us what we need when we need it. Yeah. Okay, so we've now touched on the light wines. Which we can do grape juice, we can do Kedem Kal. Kedem Kal? That's correct. Concord, Crema Lager, that's our favorite. Um, now let's talk into something medium before we go into the heavier wines for Okay, Bethesda. so you have Cream Red. Okay. Cream Red Concord, that's 9%. Um, you also have a series of 
off-dry wines that are a little bit lower in alcohol, such as White Zinfandel and Chenin Blanc. Oh, they are my, <laughs> they're and, one of my favorites. And, and those are a little bit off, you know, off-dry, not quite sweet, but not right. quite totally dry as well. And uh, and those wines are, are about 11 to 12%. Like, what about the Malvasia? That's, is and, that a light? Because it's red, so, you know, you wouldn't have a... And then you have the entire line of Italian wines that are a little fizzy, what we call in, in Italian frizzanti. Frizzanti. Okay. Uh, and those wines are at 5 to 6%, including the Rashi, the original, the Rashi Moscato, the Asti, which is also about 6%. So I once tried... You know, I like I like definitely like my uh, crema lager, but I wanted to like change it up a little bit because four glasses is just too much. I tried one year doing four glasses of Milvasia. Malvasia. Milvasia. Milvasia. It's, it's I didn't know I was Malvasia. Malvasia, with my Australian accent. There you it's go. Good. It's good. Any I, anything you say in an Australian accent <laughs> sounds great. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll try to be good. So, so um, I, I tried having four of those. It's too much. It's too sweet. You know, so I tried to, like the following year, I tried to mix it up a little bit. One Crema Lager, one Milvas, Milvasia. That's I okay. Milvasia. I even did a Zinfandel. Oh, there you go. You know. White Zinfandel. White Zinfandel. Was it was more like a pinky color. Yeah, that's right. Is that we, called a rosé well, or the reason, white? The reason we call it White Zinfandel is because, and here's another little tidbit for your next cocktail party, if oh, you will, okay. around the Seder table to talk about. All color of grapes, all color of wine does not come from the juice. You take the reddest grape, the reddest, reddest grape, and you squeeze it out. It's white. It's clear. Yes, it's yeah. white. Right. And the only place you get the color from is the skins. And they leave the skins with the juice, and that juice extracts the pigment from the skin, and therefore, voila, you have color. So the reason we call white Zinfandel white Zinfandel is because Zinfandel, the grape that it comes from, is a red grape. So what we're saying is we're oh. making white wine out of red, red grapes. grapes. And all they do is they leave they leave that, and it comes out white. It comes out clear. But they leave the skins on for just, you know, an hour or so, and it gets a little bit of an extract of the skins of the grapes, which is red, and so that turns it into pink or rosé colored. Oh, cool. But that's why Very we call nice. it white Zinfandel. Okay, see, we're learning a lot, and that's what today's show is all about, learning, learning, learning. Okay, so here's a question. I remember as a kid, like, taking a whole bunch of grapes and then, squeezing them and getting like a teeny tiny bit of grape juice out of that. I remember we're supposed to be asleep and my brother and I were squeezing grapes because we wanted to make our own grape juice. So we're talking about a bottle of wine. How much grapes, how many grapes oh, go that's, into that's a, a bottle of wine? I wish, a I Zinfandel, wish, a I wish I, lager. I wish I knew the answer to that <laughs> right off the top of my head. I wasn't prepared. Okay, but, no, I just thought but of I will now. Give you, I'll, give you, I'll, give, I'll give you a perspective, okay? You, if you... If you um, Harvest a ton of grapes. That's 2,000 pounds of grapes. Okay. 2,212 pounds, whatever it is. Okay, But cool. it's over 2,000 pounds of grapes. Guess what? You'd think that you'd get thousands and thousands. Probably and not, You get right? 80 cases at maximum. You get about 80, 60 to 80 cases of wine. Oh, wow. So it's, and that. So you that's need a the, lot of yeah, grapes. That's equivalent to about, I don't know, a th- uh, uh, about 2,000 gallons of wine. So. Right, so it's not that much considering the it's, amount of wine that a, we have to drink for Pesach. Do we, no, it's, it's, it's we a fraction to, of right, the amount. What, yeah. Right. What so how, how do they keep up with it all? Oh, my goodness. Especially this time of the year. Do they, does Kenan prepare specially for Pesach extra wines like 
well, have merchandise ready for Pesach time? Well, it's interesting. Um, unlike almost any other food product, you know, if you need crackers, yeah, you just mix up more flour and water and sugar right. and whatever it is that yeah, you put in. But that's easy because flour is readily available. Exactly. The grapes if just you can't need, grow. Right. If you right. So. That's exactly the point. Grapes are prepared once. I'm sorry. Wine is prepared once a year. Grape juice is prepared once a year. Now, what we do with grape juice and also with some of the Kiddush wines is they keep it in refrigerated tanks, but it's all done. It's all finished. It's all made. And all they do is, is bottle it as they need it towards the year. But you take, for example, anything from Baron Herzog, anything from any of the, uh, Bartonura, the Malvasia, mm-hmm. it's not in tank. It's all produced once a year. It's bottled, and then it's put into these big, big warehouses, and they just release deliver it and at- release them at the time that they're needed. Wow. And how much grape juice? Do we know how much grape juice is prepared for Pesach? Oh, that's – you know, I just people, ask, <laughs> people ask that all the time. I will tell you that um, there's it, it, somewhere – and I can't say the exact number because right. it's privately held. But I will tell you that there's much more than a million cases of grape juice sold, sold. for Pesach. And we're guessing that most of it is around Pesach, yes. Right. Well, not most of it, but a lot of it is in Pesach time. And because it's more than a million, it could be as much as two million, for example, cases of grape juice. could be that there's a million cases of grape juice that go out for Pesach. What's interesting, though, is, is that an awful lot of people during Pesach – because the displays are up in Costco and all the nice, good from stores that we should all support absolutely. in your local neighborhoods. Yes, oh, absolutely. We love um, Costco, but we love our Brass and our Gourmet Glad. And uh, what are your stores in your um, neighborhood? Uh, <laughs> your wife knows. <laughs> oh, there's Glad Express and Glad. there's, uh, you know. A new uh, one has opened up in Teaneck also. New one has opened up in Teaneck, so support those stores. But because in those other stores where non, lots of non Jewish people shop, when they go through the aisle and they see this grape juice and they know it's all natural and all, mm-hmm. you know, no sugar added. No sugar added. It's a big so thing they, on the label. Lots of, I mean, a lo- an awful lot of that business goes to the, just to the non-Jewish clientele. Okay, very nice. Very big in the Spanish market. Grape uh, juice. Very Ooh. big in the inner city, black market. Black people like uh, our grape juice. So you know, it's a big, it's a big seller everywhere. Yeah. Very nice. Well, and I don't think they're having Seder, you know? <laughs> no, absolutely not, I don't think. <laughs> Although the beauty, you know, and I, just as a commentary on our wonderful, wonderful Yahadas that we have is that we are not a race, you know? We have black people in our religion. We have even Orientals in our religion. We have all kinds, you know, Indians. I mean, I, I, in Flatbush, there was a very close friend of mine who was from India, and he had that little bit of an Indian look, you know? So, um, you know, we, we are welcome to all commerce. Spanish people, certainly. I mean, I, I speak Spanish all the time. I take care of South America. We sell an awful lot of wine to South America, and they speak Spanish Right, to me. Chile, right? Isn't um, Chile, Chile has really good wines? Chile has really good wines. That's a place where we actually get wine from. And also we get wine from Argentina. Like you import it? That's or correct. You're... Oh, very Yeah, okay. we make it there. And, what, which and brands? Uh, Alfazi, okay, Don yeah, Alfonso. And uh, from from Argentina, we have Fletcher Stilo Sandis, which are really wonderful wines. Very nice. So I know that they have very good soil there and very fertile soil, same in Australia also. So obviously, when you've got good soil, you're going to produce good grapes. Good grapes produce then good wine. Right, right. And it's interesting about Australia, the simile between Australia and, and uh, Chilean wines, Alfazi, Teal Lake, for example, and Alfazi. And that is, is that both of those are flipped 
if you will, their flipped harvest times. Okay, what does that mean? That means that the summer here is the oh, winter okay. there. Oh, okay, I see what you mean, yes. Pesach so, in Australia is the spring, is fall and you know, here it's spring. Here it's, spring. You right. know, it's the opposite. Sukkot is in the spring here in Australia and in, the, in New York it's... It's, it's the end it's, of the summer. It's, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, sometimes it could be fall. It's coming in the fall, right. Well, this exactly. year it's still, yeah, still yeah. going to be very early fall this year. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you see a vintage uh, 2012, for example, okay. that 2012 is harvested in January of 2012. So, you know, by the time September, October, November rolls around, you will see some of the 2012 uh, out in the marketplace. Whereas if you saw 2012 from the the northern hemisphere you you won't see a 2012 from the northern hemisphere until well into the spring interesting i never even thought about of, that of the following and year I'm from, i'm and sorry I'm of the from following year of 13 correct and i'm from the other side of the world so i kind of like think right. often like that like but th- I ne- that was never brought to my attention yeah. very very interesting you'll never see almost never see a 2012 vintage of any kind of wine here in the United States in the year 2012. So 2012 wine in the United States, grown in the United States, California. New York. New York. Is, is harvested in, in September, October. And then, right, and in, then the, in, released the, in the fall. And released not before the first of the year in, in almost every single case. But if you see from South America or Australia in 2000, December of 2012, December, even, even much earlier. Earlier, yeah. you know, Pesach, exactly. you might see some 2012, 2012 might, one. but more often you'll see them around April, May, June. Very interesting. Okay. We're all learning something today. This is Table for Two with Naomi Nachman. Our show is sponsored by AHC Appliances in Cedarhurst. I've got with me in the studio Jay Booksbaum, sommelier from Kedem and Royal Wines. There are names that are stuck in everyone's heads and people really are very familiar with the brand name of, of Kedem and now uh, the Rashi line, Rashi, Baron, Baron Herzog. There are big American lines, right, that are oh, yeah. very, very popular. And we have some wonderful Israeli wines. Israel is so hot. Oh, my goodness. You know, every year we get inundated with samples of new wineries from Israel. It's interesting to note that there is over 300 wineries in Israel. Um, wow. Yeah. Who knew the country had so much land? The country is about the size of the state of New Jersey. It's right. shaped similarly and as well. And it's all a vineyard. And, well, you, you would, <laughs> we I wish. would hope we so. Wish. Right, we wish. <laughs> but there's over 300. It's interesting. Uh, again, I'm not going to get into the politics of this, but more than 75% of them are not under kosher certification, direct kosher certification. Most of them are not. Now, that's not to say they could be made by from people, you know, in their backyards so and so on and so kosher. forth. I mean, that's but we cannot. Jew will not drink that. Well, that's correct. We can't, you know, if it doesn't have a kosher certification but, on it, again, I would you not. You know, we're not going to drink we're it. We're not going to drink it. But the wines, almost invariably, um, 95 to 99% of the wines that are brought to America from Israel are certified kosher and are so stated on the label. And we have now. Uh, we have now br- we are now bringing in more than 16 wineries from Israel. And some of the latest and hottest. I mean, you have some of the. What's the hottest Israeli wine right now? <laughs> what what can you recommend? You know, we d- we definitely covered the table the seder wines. Let's talk about table wines from Israel. In between courses. Well, I, I would say that we haven't kind of covered the table. And I, I oh, don't mean okay, to, great. Let's go back. I don't mean to, you know, I don't, you know no, we covered we the table. We can go back, 
Absolutely. We, we covered the Seder we wines. We loop around. I will tell you. We did I would light and we did rate medium. Oh, you're right. We didn't do the uh, yeah, heavy but, drinking. Yeah, but it's, and that's because it's very simple. I remember when I first started in this business so many years ago. I'm not going to tell you how long. <laughs> but so many years ago, um, operators like your dad who did the Seder thing in mm-hmm. a hotel for 28 years would say, I need a pallet 70 cases of Seder wine. Right. You know? And that meant Kiddush wine. That meant Concord. That meant Cream Red. Or today it means Concord Kahl or Cream Malaga or whatever it is. But today, it's very interesting. Nobody uses that term anymore to mean specifically Kiddush wine. And that's because, thank God, um, Jews today are so much more sophisticated. And so many are not just drinking, quote, Kiddush wines for the Seder. They are drinking Cabernet and Chardonnay and Merlots and blends from Israel and Bordeaux and, uh, oh God, oh gosh, uh, Rhone wines and, uh, Chilean wines and Teal Lake wines, Shirazes. Merlot. Are people drinking a Merlot? Of course, of course. Of course, they're drinking Merlots as well. So, ki- so, Merlot. so wow. Kiddush wine, and, and you know, <laughs> one of the things, one of the things that people ask me, uh, what wine is best for the Seder? And you know what I say? The wine that you like best. Right. You know, it's your the wine palate. that suits you best. That's your pet. You know. So for me, I would be drinking, I, I lately, I think I'm going to switch this year, but lately, uh, in years past, a couple years past. Let's, what does Jay Booksbaum <laughs> drink? Let's, let's hear it. <laughs> well, in a couple years past, I've been drinking a, an Israeli wine for the first coast. Okay. And usually something from Hari Yehuda. Very nice. Um, Hari Yehuda, the Judean Hills area, is is where the Mishkan first was established. Uh, places like Shiloh and the Binyamin, not to be confused with Binyamina. Nah, I knew you would okay. Say that. Yep. The Binyamin area. Uh, so so I've been drinking wines from those areas uh, in the last couple of years but also wines from the new wine-growing regions of Israel, uh, which are the Golan Heights and the Upper Galilee and even the Lower Galilee. Uh, so those are, those are some of the wines. But I think this year I'm going to switch to um, perhaps a single vineyard Herzog Reserve wine, perhaps Oakville or Oak Is that the one Oak with the H on it? The yeah. big H on the thing? The big H on yeah. it. They're, they're a little pricey, right? They're a little but pricey. Worth it. But, you know, I, so I think everything else on if, if you're going to treat yourself... And it's going to be that first cup, or maybe you should wait until the third cup. So it's right. I'm sorry, the second cup, which is the first cup right before, right before dinner. The I think second. it's the second it's cup, second, right? The third so is the second cup, man. right? If the second cup, you should maybe save it for the second cup so that you can take that right into dinner with you. Right. Or the bottle that is. You know, you <laughs> want to finish the cup maybe, but but you have to leave, drink at least Rovkos. Right. Uh, again. Uh, disclaimer, ask your local rabbi. Right. Uh, you know. Is one allowed to drink wine during the meal? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, they were having the fish course now, you know. Absolutely. We, bring out salmon, let's bring out some Chardonnay. That's right. Let's bring out some Baron Herzog Chardonnay. I want to tell you, there, there's, a, there's a wine that's between 12 and $15 on a regular basis in the stores. Yeah. And it's so delicious. It's gotten best buys. And for those people who want a little bit more sweetness to it, move to the Chenin Blanc from Baron Herzog delicious and not too sweet not too heavy you know perfect uh, you know we've spoken about this before i am on a white wine yes. thing baby if everyone could see me in from all the listeners could see i'm lifting my arms up championing out like a hooray for white wine uh, you know as as a as a chef and as a cook you know that 
you can't, I mean, just interesting, yesterday, okay. just yesterday, yes. the New York Times, did you see that article? Of course, I, I won't buy the New York Times because blah, blah, blah. The same way also. Yeah, all that, all that politi- yeah, political, yeah. you know, politi- PC correct stuff. Yeah, but yeah. in any event, I saw the article, okay? And the article is all about how the Mediterranean diet is, is so healthy for yeah, you and I that reduces, yes, yes. reduces heart disease by a third at least. And they had to end the the, um, the trial early because it was so obvious. It was amazing. But one of the things they said was is that people who do drink, they're not advocating that you start drinking, but people who do drink should drink at least seven glasses of wine a week. Okay, a glass every, at I least can do that. I a can glass do that. every day. But if you're going to have a glass of wine with your spaghetti and macaroni and cheese – on on Tuesday night, uh, you wouldn't eat that kind of stuff. Oh but, no, I actually do. I okay. do like. I do. Then you're not going to have a heavy red. So I advocate more and more that people should should uh, um, you know kind of gravitate to more whites more often. Okay, so I do a lot of cooking with wine. You know, we can maybe lead now into the cooking with wine because I, I do a lot a lot of cooking with wine. Um, I'm actually in my. We're going <clears> to <throat> do the what's for dinner segment towards the end where I give a recipe at the end of each show, and I'm going to be doing a roast with a red wine. Now, my new favorite red wine, and I am not a big dry red wine drinker. I'm not a big fan of Merlots. I find them too sharp on my tongue. I'm not sure if that's what are you, high tannins. I'm not sure if, you know. Depends on, yeah, uh, yeah it could everyone's be. Everyone's palate is different. I like a lot of milk in my coffee. Somebody else only drinks black. You know, it depends yeah. on your palate. But I found this wine called Zmora. Do you know what ah, that is? Ah, yes, Zmora. A little like, off dry. It's it's dry, but it's really sweet. It's got at the it's same got time. lots of fruit in it. I am obsessed with that. It's like seven dollars a bottle or eight dollars a bottle, and I love it. Like love, 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 and it tastes delicious in in cooking meat. Also, like it just it takes my roast. I'm probably screaming into the microphone because I'm so excited about this this combination of flavors of this Mora wine with the when I give the recipe towards the end with the cumin and the garlic it's like a beautiful it just all comes together really nicely wow. okay. so you know we're going to share that I'm recipe I'm excited to hear about the recipe <laughs> but I, like, I hope I, there's still enough time for Brenda to, to you know for us to make it maybe uh, I'll make it Oh yeah you, you can you can put in what well, it's a great quick and easy recipe to throw together even Arab Yontif Great um, I use a lot of white wine with my fish cooking of fish Okay. You know, there's, there's, you know, garlic, white wine, olive oil, salt. Make a little mixture. Throw that on fish anytime. Great. And then once you've opened that bottle of wine, you can't just stick it in the fridge. You serve it with your meal. Exactly. None of this cooking wine stuff that you buy in the vinegar aisle. We do not <laughs> right. ever do that. We go down to our local l- liquor store wine in shop. Australia. It's called Grog Shop. Grog. Uh, grog. I don't know where it came from. but it's Well, there's a grog of beer, I guess. A grog of beer. Oh, there you go. Maybe that's where it came from. So you go down to your local grog shop. I hope, Dad, I hope I'm saying that right in Sydney, Australia. Um, hopefully you're listening. Actually, Shabbos in Australia right now, but they'll catch it <laughs> on the archives. Um, so so uh, you go down to your liquor store. You you know, you buy a bunch of, you know, bottles of Zamora if you need red. And I like to cook with a nice Chardonnay. Uh, I'm, I want to make sure I say right, Genovese. No, Juness. Juness. And, and, and the way... the you way know, I think the French, I don't know. All you have it to do, well. it's, it's J-E-U-N-E-S-S-C, but it's pronounced J-E-W-N-E-S-S. Okay. Juness. Juness. Okay. Juness. Juness. Oh, well, we can do that. So I buy some Juness wine, I buy a case of that, and quite often if you buy a case, that will give you a better price. And I always have those on hand for A, drinking, or B, cooking. You know, right. so it's it's... 
you know, it's a little bit more costly than buying a $4 tiny little bottle of wa- uh, cooking wine from the ca- from the vinegar aisle, but it's something that you will enjoy. It will elevate your food, and then you get to finish off the wine at dinner or the next night you have another glass, even if you're not going to have such a fancy dinner. Just sometimes knock back and have a glass of wine uh, uh, if I you may, If I may maybe encroach just a tiny drop on the cooking end of this, mm-hmm. one of the things that I advocate is, is that when you have, like I do, a glass or two of wine with dinner and in the middle of the week on Tuesday night mm-hmm. and you have that leftover wine if you don't get it if you don't get to it the next night or if you wanted to get another fresh wine the next night that wine is still fine for cooking 2 3 4 days later do you need to put it in the fridge my dad told me if you open a bottle of wine you re- should refrigerate it whether it's red or white the next day because it will turn to vinegar I, let's, I, let's clear I, up that myth I, it's a myth as far as really? I'm concerned, you don't really need to put it in the fridge. And in fact, in fact, the the thing that's most detrimental to wine, in general, is the change in temperature. Not that. not so much the temperature, but the change. Of course, if you're going to keep it at 94 degrees, that's not good for the wine. Ugh. But if Hot, it's it, if <laughs> if you if you took it out of the fridge, or let's say it's a red wine, which you did not take out of the fridge. You took it from your cellar, which is a perfect 68 degrees. Or your garage. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's perfect 68 degrees. And then you you know, you know, you raise it to room temperature at 70, and then you drink it. If you put it in the refrigerator again, you're really shaking up those molecules because you're making them spin. And then you're going to take it out again, so you're making them spin even more. My suggestion is leave it on the counter, especially if you're going to use it for cooking. It's fine. The reduction, the reductive nature of cooking with them will actually concentrate back some of those flavors that you've lost overnight or for the last couple of nights. And I think those are great wines to use. Okay. So we've got when you open it to use for cooking, then you can drink it. But now we've got the reverse. It's like once you've opened it just to drink, right. you can and you use have the rest in your use, cooking. Exactly. Use that in your cooking. Exactly. The next day or even three or four days later. Okay. So – we got within a week. You should finish off that bottle. I would say so. Yeah. As if a bottle of wine opened in my house would last a week. <laughs> but my kids would like to drink some also. I'm like, no, no, no. A little, a little sip on Shabbos, but otherwise, you know, can't have them drinking and doing homework. You know. <laughs> okay, so um, we. we that's a new excuse. The, it's no longer the dog ate my homework. homework? I was I, too drunk to do my homework. I gewalt. I gewalt. Would we be in trouble? Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit, and you touched on about blends. What's a blend? We see that. I'm seeing that a lot. I got as a gift a bottle of Chilean wine, actually, and it was a blend of two different wines. So that's a, that's a great – Is that a new thing? That, no, that's actually a very old thing. Okay. Um, if, you, if you buy a wine from Europe, let's call it France, okay. you'll often buy something called a Bordeaux. Now, Bordeaux – Is red or white? Is red. Well, it can be red or white. Right, because I've seen it white, but I wasn't can be sure. red or white. Uh, most people, I think, when they think of Bordeaux, can be red or white, but most people think, oh, I bought a, a nice red Bordeaux. And what's interesting about that is, is that when wines first were made in France, uh, the, the, the vineyardist, the farmer, would have this vineyard, and we'd have all kinds of grapes in one plot of land. And Different varieties. He'd have Cabernet and Chardonnay and Cabernet Franc and Merlot and Petit Verdot, as an example. And then he would harvest all the grapes, bring it to the winery, crush them all together, and make wine out of it. So, in effect, the wine that he made then was a blend because it included all these kind of grapes. And that's why they call it Bordeaux. Now, over the centuries, 
they've figured out which grapes grow best in Bordeaux, and only those grapes are allowed to be used in the making of a Bordeaux wine, whether it be white or red. So there are four grapes, there are four primary grapes in Bordeaux for red, Cabernet, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, and Petit Verdot. And so when you see a Bordeaux, which is, you know, which is ancient in terms of history, okay, not the one that you're buying tomorrow, but the one, you know, in general, historically speaking, those wines are always blends. And so the original wines were blends. It's only when we came to the New World, whether it was Australia, where they started making Shiraz as single grape variety wines, or California, where they started making certain Vitis vinifera, which are seven specific grapes that they made individually, Cabernet, Chardonnay, Merlot, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, etc. So really Bordeaux is, I'm sorry, blends is really more of an ancient thing. And the reason they do that is because you want, as in food, you want great balance between the spices and the, you know, the different the spices. The marriage of flavors. My listeners know I always say a marriage of flavors. Exactly. So, so um, that's, what, that, that's what blends are about. The winemaker has decided that he wants to do a blend. I'll give you a great example. One of the best, perhaps some people consider it the best wine from Israel, is a wine called Castel. Or Yatir. Those two are considered okay. some of the, the two best wines there. in Israel. Okay. Those are both blends. Those are both what we call classic Bordeaux blends, which means they're not from Bordeaux. They're from Hari Yehuda. They're from Judean Hills, but they're made from Cabernet and Merlot and Cabernet Franc, etc. So, And the winemaker has decided to – and every year that blend changes or could change depending on what flavors, the marriage of flavors he wants from the softness of the Merlot to the more structured – flavor of the Cabernet, etc. Very interesting. So now we have like a little bit, you know, you see blends everywhere, but you're not exactly sure. Like I literally always thought that they took a picture of, you know, I'm using the term loosely, a picture of Merlot and a picture of, you know, Syrah. Cabernet. Cabernet. And they're just, you know, two-thirds of a cup of this and one-third of a cup of that. That's, but it's really That's much, really what, no, no, that's what they that's do. That's what they're actually doing. That's what they, no, what I described was what they used to do. Okay. You know, uh, hundreds and hundreds Mixing of years ago. Mixing up grapes. Yeah, they had grapes. They harvested everything. They put all the grapes into one hopper, crushed it all, and whatever came out of it, that was the wine. And it was from that area, so they called it by the area's name, like Bordeaux. Like Bordeaux. Exactly. Or Champagne is only from Champagne. Exactly. But today, that same vintner now has separated, within his farm, has separated the Cabernet from the Merlot. He then vints them separately in the winery. He makes separate Cabernet and separate Merlot and separate Cabernet Franc. And then in the tasting room, if you will, I don't want to use the word lab because it seems so... Um, um, scientific yeah, and cold. Yeah, exactly, and, and cold and, and uh, yeah. Sterile. Sterile. So instead, he in the tasting room, he will take, he will take what they call a, a sample of each, mix them into different glasses. He'll do it by the glass, actually. Wow. And say, oh, I did two-thirds Merlot and one-third Cabernet. I think I need about half and half. I would I love I to need... go to one of those places. Yeah, and be... it'd be great. Like, so that's that's what they do now. Do you, do you do that? Are you involved yes, in that? Yes, I do. Step? Yes, yes. Because you have to have a very acute palate to be able to distinguish 65% this and 25% of that. You I think know? it's not a matter. I think it's a learned palate, you know. You, you talked to, uh, last time about how you liked the Zamora yeah. just a little while ago and uh, how it's become your favorite. Yeah. And now you don't like Merlot. Well, I never like Merlot. <laughs> well, I think it, it could be that you're averse to Merlot, but I think that it's an evolutionary process. Right. You know, I, I tell kids all the time, 
kids. I tell kids over 21 all the time who tell me they don't like dry wine. I said, let me ask you something. The first time you tasted mustard, did you like mustard? Right. As a child, they hated mustard. Right. So I hated coffee. Uh-huh. Hated coffee. Now I cannot go without coffee. So you go. Know, it's an evolutionary. Yeah, I think your, it's a learned. Your palate you, you, changes. You, you Definitely. Tra- train your palate. Right. So if you don't like Merlot, that's fine. But I would suggest that you keep tasting more and more different and different wines. Well, I, I definitely know that Merlot has got different um, different companies have better tasting Merlots or better tasting dry different, red. Different tasting. D- yeah, different tasting or better tasting to me. To me, me Different right. tasting. Yeah. You know, everyone, de- everyone definitely has their own palate. Like I used the analogy before, you know, more milk in your coffee or less milk in your coffee. It's very personal. But I know that over time, you know, my dad used to tell me he had milk in his coffee. Now he would never put milk in his coffee. As we age... You know, we, we are changing our palate. You are listening to Table for Two with Naomi Nachman of the Nachum Siegel Network. Our sponsor this month is AHC Appliances in Cedarhurst. I have Jay Booksbaum with me in the studio, and we are having a wine lesson. It's very close to Pesach now. I'm going to just throw out a recipe while we're here and tell me what you think, and maybe uh, Brenda will uh, put this together and meet your wife yet, but hopefully she'll... Uh, I'll cook? even tell you what I yes. I'll even tell you. Last night I, I'm doing um, doing a lot of vegetarian stuff. So mm. I did fava beans and string beans and sautéed onions, peppers, and all you know at different levels, different stages. And then I added them all together. And then I sprinkled. Listen to this. I sprinkled fresh goat cheese. Oh, and say the fresh, word goat cheese. You got me at goat cheese. Fresh. Uh, cubed, uh, you know, tomatoes. Okay. So it was that cool goat cheese and tomato on top of this hot mixture of, of vegetables. It was just absolutely delicious. I am obsessed with goat cheese. And, I'm only and I had that with Sauvignon Blanc. Oh, okay. That's a nice little combo because yes. it has that tomato taste. So, you know, well, no, tomato actually, and... It, it, if, if it would have been a red sauce tomato, it would have been a much richer wine. It would have been a Chardonnay. It would have been a Chardonnay. But because the tomatoes were just on top... Yeah. And it was still crunchy and right out of the store. It was more of an austere kind of wine with Sauvignon Blanc. But okay. go ahead. Tell Very us about nice. your recipe. Yeah, I just want to say a big shout-out to goat cheese. I love, love, love goat cheese. We used to eat a lot of feta. Now we switch to goat. It's unbelievable. I went to a goat cheese farm in Israel. And all I kept thinking, and they brought out tons of um, uh, different kinds of goat cheeses from, you know, soft to hard cheeses. And it was unbelievable. And I kept thinking, we just need some good wine to have with it. Something would really complement it. So it's a bit sad there was no wine brought out to us. But it was it was really, we love, especially the soft goat cheeses in the logs. They go great on oh, that's that. That's what I had. I, I took a slice, crumpled it up on top after the hot stuff, then the then the tomatoes, and I sprinkled all of that. Man, was that delicious. Oh, that's so yum. You know, I, I find that if you freeze goat cheese for like a couple of minutes, it, and then you grate it, it can grate really nicely. Really? If it comes to room temperature, it gets it's very um, soft. It becomes right. a bit like cream cheese. So if you just freeze it for a couple of minutes or straight from the very cold part of the fridge, grate it, you get this nice pile. It looks like shaved Parmesan. Great. Okay, so let's just talk about... Uh, I called it Roast with Red Wine Reduction. It's actually on my uh, blog on my website, theaussiegourmet.com. Um, you can take any kind of roast. You can use a standing rib roast, which is definitely a more expensive cut but delicious, and then you and get the bone-in one because then you can eat off the bone. It's absolutely delicious. Um, but you can use a beef shoulder roast or a California roast. I like the beef shoulder roast, a nice big piece, about five pounds. 
Um, I use, I take an onion and I make big, one of those really big onions. I slice it up. I put it at the bottom of the pan. Then in a small bowl, I take two tablespoons of Dijon mustard, a tablespoon of olive oil, a teaspoon of kosher salt, some crushed black pepper, a teaspoon of paprika, a teaspoon of garlic powder, a teaspoon of cumin. I know cumin is not so typically found in roast, but it just adds so much to this this rub that we're going to put over. And then, of course, six cloves of crushed garlic. So I make like a little paste and I rub that all over my meat. And I leave that just sitting out on the counter for about an hour just so the flavors can all, you know, absorb into the meat. Then I take a cup of red wine. So choose whatever red wine you like. You like a Merlot. You've got something open from the other night. I like Zamora. So one cup of red wine and then one cup of ketchup and then you whisk it together. My mouth is actually watering as mm, we're speaking. Because me too, I tell I'm you. actually a big, a big roast love. I love roast. So then um, I mix it together and then I, I pour that over my meat, which is, you know, sitting there with a the rub on it. I, I put, then put that in, a, in an oven. The oven is at 400 degrees. It's a little high. It's like basically going to sear the meat. Now, I have something on my oven, and Sandy from AHC Appliances, is, we're going to touch on that um, on a, on a, on a, at a different time when she comes on the show. We're going to talk about probe settings on ovens. I have a probe setting. I'm not sure if you have a probe setting. Don't know what that is. Okay, maybe you'll ask your wife. It's, it's, on, it's on like some of the slightly higher-end ovens. I have a GE oven, a GE profile, I think. It's, it's a probe. You stick in one end into the center of the roast, and the other end you stick into the – like there's a little hole in the oven. And you stick that into the oven so it's connected. You've now connected literally your roast to your oven. Then you hit 400 degrees for about 20 minutes so it's going to sear it up. And then you set your internal temperature of the roast. You want your internal temperature, yes, rare. We only like our meat rare, 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 rare. So um, especially because we, t- we have to reheat our meat any case, um, either for Shabbat or for Yontif, we, we have for a tendency leftovers. to reheat it or for leftovers, so we do not want it dried out. So um, I've set my oven to 400 degrees, my internal probe temperature at 135 degrees. After 20 minutes, I cover my roast. I then bring down the temperature to about 350 degrees, so it's going to cook a little bit slower. Um, and then I cover it, and I, it, it, the oven will shut off automatically, when it hits 135 degrees. So my oven shuts off when the internal temperature has been read from, from the meat. If you don't have one of these contraptions that come with your oven, you can buy locally at your Bed Bath & Beyond or your local houseware stores. One of those probes you stick in, you read the meter, instant read thermometer, 135 degrees, you pull it out. My oven will shut off at 135 Beautiful. degrees. I cannot begin to tell you how much I love that feature. That's unbelievable. But I, I don't, even though the oven's off, I still pull out my roast because the oven is still on. Even though it's off electrically, it's still on because it's hot. So till it cools down and then it continues to cook the roast and then it won't be 135 degrees, then my daughter Eliana will be upset because she really likes it rare, rare, rare at 135 degrees. So then I take it out, I cool it, and then I slice it. The tomato sauce, I should say the ketchup mixture, in Australia, ketchup is tomato sauce. So the ketchup and wine mixture is now made, infused with a roast, and has made the most unbelievable gravy. Mm. So you just, you know, um, you can slice it, you can put the sauce all over it, and then you can freeze it, which I have done many times over this Pesach. 
cooking season for my customers. And basically every shop is for myself. But, you know, and sometimes I'll quite often double this recipe if I know I'm having a busy week. Like I've had the last few weeks, I'll double a roast on Friday. <clears throat> excuse me. And then I'll stick one in the freezer. So the next week I won't have to make a roast. It's already done for me. So it freezes really well. It's absolutely delicious. And then you can serve it with some roasted potatoes. Or we, a couple of weeks ago, um, we spoke about doing um, convection roasted veg vegetables. Um, so that's also on my website, theaussiegourmet.com. So we've got a really nice recipe there for cooking with red wine, a delicious roast. And you can use this for Yontif, Shabbos, any special family occasion you want to have. It's very impressive. Um, if you want to reheat it or when you reheat it, just don't overcook it unless you really like your meat overcooked. And I know, once again, that's a very personal taste. Like people are either freaked out. Some of my friends, I can't make that roast for when they come over. If they see pink, you know, my daughter likes to hear a moo. We like to hear a little moo. <laughs> we want a pulse. You know, I know that's, you know, some people like the meat. Well done. But so you can cook it a little bit longer. I wouldn't cook it more than 165 degrees then it really gets dried out and rubbery, and then the sauce, you know, becomes very um, tart, you know, once mm -hmm. it's uh, it's concentrating a little bit more. Um, so, you you know, 135, 145 is a perfect way to serve, uh, to cook this. So, we are here at uh, the studio, a couple of days to go till Pesach. I have Jay Booksbaum with me. Uh, we are talking about Pesach wines on Table for Two with Naomi Nachman, and our show is sponsored by AHC Appliances. So... Jay, let's wrap up a little bit. Let's talk about what, you know, people can buy out there. What dessert wines to end a Seder off with? You know, maybe before Afi and have something sweet or, you know, something that we can serve at our uh, day meals. I know a lot of people have asked me to cook the milchik daytime meals. You know, everyone has their own thing with that. I know my brother who's Hasidish would never have a milchik daytime Yonsef meal, but a lot of people feel that they need it. You know, right, right. Um, what would be a nice wine to serve with a milchik yontif meal and, and the end of a say meal? Even on a daytime meal that is a yontif meal that is milchik, usually they're richer meals. Um, fatty fishes like salmon. Salmon. Um, pasta dishes with uh, heavy cream sauces. Well, not not on not on this yontif. <laughs> okay, um, but but we eggplant parmesan, heavy eggplant dish. parmesan. You know, heavier dishes. So for that, you need a heavier white wine. And I would suggest for those people who like their wines a little off dry, to get something like Baron Herzog Chenin Blanc. For those people who like their nice. their uh, <laughs> whites or their wines a little drier, get uh, Castel C or um, Sagot Chardonnay or Russian River Chardonnay from Herzog or Weinstock Chardonnay. All great, great wines. Um, That's a nice for like a milchik meal. Milchik meal for richer milchik meal for Yantif. Yantif milchik meal. Um, uh, dessert wines for the Seder. Dessert wines for the Seder. Dessert wines for the Seder. You've got to bring it home, you know. Oh, absolutely. You know, because, I mean, we are going to have two more glasses of red wine or, you know, or Seder right. wines for our costs. But, you know, I, I sometimes feel at the end of a meal, you know, you need it. Late harvest snack. Riesling, wonderful bottle of wine. My favorite. Late harvest Chenin Blanc, wonderful, a little bit more tart, a little bit more crisp, a little bit fresher on the palate, not as heavy, not as um, thick. As the Riesling, uh, you have a wonderful, wonderful wine that comes from France called Piata Sauterne. 
And some people, and here's a lot of fun that I, I it's not <laughs> sweet, but I think it's a great way to end a meal. Uh, perhaps some Drapier or uh, Laurent Perrier champagne. Oh. We had a conversation about that after the kosher food and wine show. That is like my favorite wine there that evening. Yeah, there's the, the in fact, you know, I, I'm thinking about doing it now that you, now that I mentioned it, now that you kind of inspired me. The there's a Laurent Perrier Brut Rosé <gasps> made out of Pinot Noir, yes, and it's got that. a little bit of fruit to it. It's not sweet, but it's got a little bit of fruit to it. And man, what a what a way to end a seder. That is that was like the for me that was the highlight of the night. I even wrote an article about it. Um, that was a, a fantastic wine, and that, that really is a very nice way to end a Seder. Do you, is there, does, I'm sure they do this. Um, what about uh, liquors for Pesach? There's a whole line like of liqueurs. Sh- is it sherry herring? <laughs> there's a whole line of liqueurs. I don't think, I don't know that sherry herring is actually kosher or for Pesach. Or like a sherry. But I, there's, I, there's a whole line of liqueurs from Binyamina okay. that are kosher for Pesach. There's a whole line of vodkas and, and araks from Zachlawi. That Where's that? Zachlawi. They're made here in, in New Jersey. Zachlawi. It sounds <laughs> like Zachlawi. a little uh, Middle Eastern. It's, it is Middle Eastern. It's made by a, a nice uh, Middle Eastern family from people. Wonderful. They do a great job. Uh, there's there's uh, Vodka and Gin 209, which comes out of California. Very nice. That's kosher for Pesach. Walden's. There's even Kedem Vodka. Walden's isn't kosher. Walden's is not kosher oh, for Pesach. That's Sorry. Amazing. <clears throat> so... There's, and then, of course, and this is what you're going to do when you retire. I'm not talking about after the Seder, but after the Yontif <laughs> meals, when you retire to the living room and just want to sit around and, and act unwind. like and, and unwind, have a little cognac. Oh. Louis Royer cognac. That, and, and you have a special glass, a cognac glass. You have a big glass. snifter glass, and you can sit in front of the fireplace and warm the glass with both of your hands and... Uh, you know, I'm not suggesting anybody smoke. But, <laughs> no, uh, no advocates for smoke. Yeah. But if one does. One you know. does and, you know, you Cigars, take it from whatever, right? you know. But, uh, you know, do that on Kalamite, obviously. And uh, I, I, cognac is just a, you know, and, and especially the Lourie is just wonderful cognac too. I don't think I've actually had a cognac. And I've, I've had a lot of, you know what we grew up on? Advocat. Do you know what that is? That sure, yellow. Sure, scotch and something. Eggs or something. Yeah, we gosh. used to drink so, like. I shouldn't say it, but we used to drink so much of that when we were young. We would, you know, Dad would give us a sip from the from the uh, kiddishes at shul. He'd say, oh, come try this. It was yeah. great. We used to mix that actually with um, Malaga wine to get there like a little go. cocktail. That there was a shout-out to uh, my neighbor, Frank Levy, who does uh, – we used to go to him Friday night, the whole family. After dinner, we'd all get together. We'd have a little l'chaim to, for Shabbos, a Shabbos l'chaim. There you go. And he'd make for the kids um, – Little Advocat and uh, Malaga was like the kids' cocktail. That was the Shirley Temple for Clyde Street, for the, the street I grew up on with a bunch of from families in Sydney all lived on one street. We'd all get together. So, uh, yeah, good times. Good all times. right, good times yeah. around some wine. There you go. <laughs> and, and we always say, you know, we've got to drink responsibly and we're not going to serve all the kids. We did a whole show on that, and yeah, it's really important. And for the kids, by the way, you can have them totally participating. There's tons of grape juice and different flavors. There's uh, sparkling grape juice if you want to have them join you in the champagne mm-hmm. end to the dinner. Yeah. So, you know, there's plenty of things. And that, garnishes. That they can do that's... You can garnish a glass for the kids also. That way they... They'll have a great time with it and, and they'll still feel part of it and not have you know, not have to be inundated with alcohol. Right, right. Because, we, it's you know, we don't need to introduce them so young to... Uh... That's, that's the choice of the parent. But, right. You know... But if you want to be careful and you want to really give them something and you don't want them to have alcohol, these are the alternatives. Well, we got some really nice sparkling grape juices for Mishlach Manot this year. There you go. You know, so I've I've kind of put them away and 
you know, actually this year we'll be in Israel, so we won't be uh, using them this year. We're not schlepping little bottles of grape juice, sparkling grape juice. But, you know, I usually put them away. You can get that sparkling grape juice in Israel. Really? That's right. I believe that's very exciting for us. <laughs> I, hope, I hope they'll have stuff on the shelves for when I get there. Cutting a little close. Okay, thank you so much for coming in. I think My we're pleasure. coming up to a wrap-up for today's show. It's uh, been a wonderful month leading up to Pesach, and we've had all kinds of guests come in. And, you know, I want to thank everyone, and we're going to catch up again after Pesach. I'm going to try to uh, report back on all my adventures that I'll be having in Israel. I've, you know, uh, had a show with David Wallace from Eddie's Travels, and, you know, I'm, go- I'm going to be spending a Shabbat of Cholomed Pesach at his hotel so I'm really looking forward to that and seeing what they've got going. He was on the radio a few weeks ago talking to us about uh, his Pesach Hotel and all about the exciting programs that he runs uh, throughout the year as well. So I really want to thank Jay for coming in. It's like really... You're welcome. <laughs> I, know, I know it's Friday morning and it's hard to get in and it's before Shabbos and before Pesach and there's a lot to do and hopefully we'll have a smooth ride back home. Um, well, we should all have good weather over Pesach and Amen. good health and, Amen. You know, Amen. Good, and good food. And I hope everyone is, you know, definitely expanding their palates and expanding their minds to try different things. Uh, we had Leah Shapira. She is uh, the author of uh, a cookbook called Kosher Made Easy. And she has some wonderful, wonderful recipes. And some of her recipes, she actually pairs up with wine. Great. Yeah, I don't know if, it, who she worked with. I, I can't remember offhand who she worked with to do the wine pairings. But every picture that had a, like a nice piece of meat or a nice piece of fish with had the bottle of wine in the background. So I know they had um, they did netufa, that netufa, 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 domain netufa. Yeah, yeah, they had that um, in the background. Delicious and, wine. Yeah, so yeah, I, I tried them also at the Kosher Food and Wine Show. My husband goes back with Ari Bergman, who's one of the ah. producers of of that wine, um, right? Yeah, in Israel. The owner. Yeah, so uh, so uh, he was he was uh, at the Kosher Food and Wine Show, and we we're talking about the wines, and then I saw it, and he, you know, in in Leia's book, so that was really great. That you know, she's also pushing people to drink wine and um, to try different recipes. She has a recipe in there for a Pesach bagel. If you haven't got this recipe oh booklet, goodness. if you haven't got this recipe book, please go out now. I know it's sold so 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 fast. Um, but, you know, I thought that was a really cute idea. And it's like, you know, we have everything. We have bread. We have bagels. We have, I don't know, <laughs> lasagna, everything. I know, noodles. When I was first shopping. Noodles, we got everything. Brach in the five towns actually had their um, food out really early this year. Right. So their Pesach food, like even before Purim. And I saw like like uh, elbow noodles. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, this is really like. There's nothing you can't have. We have beer. I think beer is coming out now. Really? I don't know. I'm not such a big beer. Are you a big beer drinker? I, I, I'm not a big beer drinker, but I like beer from time to time. But I like flavorful stuff, you know, real good flavorful beer. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not from the big beer, beer drinkers, which is unusual because I am an Aussie. But, you know, I'm more like a wine. I hear you. We like the wine and the coolers, and I like those. Well, not for Pesach, but I like the, the um, but, uh, what are they called? The Smirnoffs. <laughs> so thank you coolers. so much. So thank you for so much for coming in. This is Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the Nachum Siegel Network. Um, our sponsor this month was AHC Appliances, and we're going to end with some music going from now all the way to Lichbenching by our friends at Kedem. Thank you so much for sponsoring, and have a good Shabbos and a great Pesach.